The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Know the difference. Now, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. All right, it's New Year's weekend. Let's get it going. Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Very solid hour coming up. In fact, we got so much, I think we're going to have our first two segments as full market updates because there's a lot going on. Also on the way, you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, you're retired. There are things that you can do incorrectly each decade that will affect your retirement planning. We're going to talk about that, how to avoid it. Ask Annex. Dave Spano, by the way, another TikTok financial planning oh question. Oh, goodness, TikTok. Good Lord. Can't wait for that. And if your plan is to stay in the house that you're at, yeah, that's aging in place. Dan Phillips will be here to talk about it. There's a whole lot more going on, but let's get to it. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is our Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. And of course, you know, this is the time of year that you look back and uh, we're, we're going to look forward as well. But, you know, I just wrote down some notes of what we saw last year, and it was amazing amount of news that came out. And we'll remember back in January when we were pounding the table about inflation is not transitory inflation hit seven percent and that was a four decade high and that continued to be the story throughout the year it certainly was as was the fed's response to it because at the beginning of the year dave as you recall they only thought they'd raise interest rates once in 2022 and obviously that was not the case they've raised interest rates many more times than that and they continue to believe they're going to have to raise rates in 2023 yeah so we'll have to watch that story and i start with that because that'll be a story that continues into 2023 and of course following that that February 24th, Russia invades Ukraine, and that continues to be a story. And maybe we'll see what happens in 2023 if there's some type of ceasefire, but we'll watch that story again in 2023 because of the effects that it has on energy around the world. And it certainly aggravated the inflationary situation, because prior to that, Chairman Powell contended inflation was going to be transitory. But when you take oil off the market, restrict wheat supplies and the rest, that led to an inflationary spiral. It has begun to unwind, but it's taken a a lot longer than the Fed thought. And we talked about inflation perhaps peaking, and we'll see that. We probably saw that in 2022. We'll have to see with the data supports that in 2023. And of course, March 16th was the Fed's first rate hike, as you identified, and there was many more to follow. Followed by March 31st, Derek, it was the worst quarterly performance in two years, and it was just a precursor of what we were going to see throughout the year. Moving to April 25th, Musk buys Twitter, continues to be a story, will be a story into 2023. June 15th, the Fed goes and raises by 75 basis points. Again, the second hike, and and again, they were hitting it hard. Well, it was the largest increase in interest rates since 1994. They were behind the curve. We talked about it a number of times that the two-year yield was well above where the Fed funds rate was. And historically, what the Fed does is they respond to that two-year yield, and they have responded in kind. 
And of course, that was only the second rate hike of many more to come. Moving along, we get to June 30th. The S&P now down 21%, the worst since 1970. It's been a bloodbath. Well, the good news is it hasn't gone any lower than it did at the end of June. I mean, we're still down about 20% for the year. And one of the reasons it looks like that is we peaked on the first week of the year. So endpoint to endpoint, we were down 20. The one thing I will point out is while the S&P is down 20% for the year, it's up. 7% over the last three years and 9% over the last five. So it's all about endpoint sensitivity and still sticking with your plan despite recent weakness. And we're going to do an update in early January and we're going to show that, of course. We're going to show the S&P performance and while 2022 is going to go down as a real ugly one, to Derek's point, we're going to show what has happened in 21 and 20 and 19 and 18 and so forth. And as you point out, that will be the end point. Moving on to, of course, what happened in the UK, which certainly had effects around the world. Boris Johnson exits on July 7th, and that was just the beginning of the story in the UK. Well, the UK has been really hammered by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Electricity prices are off the charts. Uh, The slowdown they're seeing there is much more severe than what we're seeing in the United States. The British pound got walloped. And essentially, Europe is is much more likely to fall into a recession in 2023 than the United States is. And we'll have to see, you know, a lot of people are forecasting a recession in 23. However, some of the Fed forecasters are saying that could go into 2024. So that'll be a story that we talk about again in 2023. But Boris uh, Johnson leaving was just the beginning of that story. Of course, Liz Truss comes in as the new PM, and she talks about tax cuts. She had a shorter history than that one pope that was only around for a little bit. And now an Oxford graduate and Stanford MBA graduate, Risha Sunak, is now the PM. We'll see if if he makes it through. 2023. And that brings us, of course, to the end of September, and we have more to talk about from that point. Holy cow. Yeah. 2022, don't let the screen door hit you the way exactly. out, right? See you right. later. Yeah, there's a lot. Folks, we can do it. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Do you think you need some help in 2023? We can do it. And Happy New Year. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show for New Year's Day. We're going to be right back on 92.5 Fox News. Used to be a retirement plan was working 40 years. Get the gold watch, walk out the door to see what was next, if anything. That was then, this is now. We're in an age of retirement redefined, and retirement could last a long time. At Annex Wealth Management, we get it. That's why our investment, retirement, tax, and estate teams are ready to create a comprehensive plan to help deliver the retirement you desire. It's time to know the difference. Work with a fee-only fiduciary. Retirement redefined. AnnexWealth.com. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, kind of a year-end show, looking back at 2022, looking ahead at 2023. Very busy. This show is going to be on the Annex Wealth Management Spotify channel at the top of the hour if you want to catch it again. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Dave Spano is President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Yeah, thanks, Danny. I just want to continue along our timeline. Of course, the end of September when Hurricane Ian hit and those effects continue to hit southwest Florida, yeah, that story will continue into 2023. And of course, that brings us to October 27th, when we saw a GDP report that was positive. Right. Well, we had had two negative uh, GDP quarters prior to that, which some people suggest is a technical recession. We really didn't believe that because the labor market was so strong. I mean, how can you have a recession when unemployment is at 3.6%? That didn't make a whole lot of sense. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're talking about real terms. That's after inflation is is deductive. So nominally, we grew. We just didn't grow as as quick a rate as inflation. 
inflation. Date. And let me just jump in. Some of that GDP report certainly came from exports, and that was a story that wasn't really covered. We were depleting our strategic petroleum reserve, and that had a positive impact on GDP. Right. And, you know, now the SPR is at its lowest level in four decades, so that's going to need to be replenished in 2023. And it looks like Q4 GDP is going to be up as well. So this, this most awaited recession in history, as you've mentioned any number of times, uh, awaits theoretically, uh, but we'll see, you know, and that's going to determine where equities go in 2023. And so now we move, of course, until 11-8, which was the midterm elections, November 8th, and it wasn't the red wave, as everyone talked about. You know, it was a relentless story that we did here that did not develop, and I guess that's a takeaway. Sometimes the stories get pounded down and then they don't turn out to be, and that might be the story with the recession as well. Moving to a rail strike that was averted in early December, China retracting from some of their COVID policies, that will have an impact on our economy. Absolutely. I mean, you're already hearing about the Chinese people making airline reservations, lots of pent-up demand, just like we saw in the United States. And in my mind, it's very possible that that could be a partial offset to the economic weakness the Fed is trying to generate. It's going to help some international companies that sell overseas. It will boost demand for certain products. So perhaps we can, you know, Powell will be able to thread the needle and generate a shallow recession, which if that's the case, the equity markets are looking more and more attractive. And so there was a story that I read uh, earlier this week, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, that talked about Powell is going to have some sobriety that started in 2022, and as we go into the New Year's weekend, that might be a, some of the story is that they're taking the punch bowl away. That might be the biggest story of the year, of course, is a move away from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. Right, and quantitative tightening has a lag effect. We've talked about it, the Fed's aware of it. Uh, we've also seen the money supply uh, grow much more slowly than it had in the past. So there's a lot of negative headwinds that is facing the economy. And that's one of the reasons why we, you know, we look at stocks, we look at the economy, but they're not the same thing. Yep. Because in many cases, you could look back in history, six months before the economy and corporate earnings bottom out, the stock market starts to rally, which is why right now, as we enter 2023, I think you really want to be relatively neutral and use opportunities on, on weakness to add risk exposure. And part of that is being nimble. Set it and forget it certainly is not going to work because of the sea change from quantitative easing when all boats were floated with cheap interest rates and, and free money to quantitative tightening. Now the work has to be done, and that is really the important story is, of course, what do you do with your asset allocation, and are you communicating with your financial advisor? Right, as we've mentioned, high-quality bonds look relatively attractive. Certainly, uh, there are alternatives now with interest rates significantly higher. Uh, we mentioned the case for small caps where valuations are very attractive. Uh, we've also talked about the oil stocks a lot, free cash flow and the rest. And oil prices, I mean, think of it this way. The energy stocks were up 61% last year, and crude oil was basically flat. Right. What's going to happen to those energy stocks if crude oil actually goes up in 2023 as Chinese demand increases? That's right. And of course, and again, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve has got to be refilled as well. You know, for 20 years, Danny, we used to take a, a fun shot at where we think the the S&P 500 was going to go. But I can tell you, we reviewed a number of those, and nobody was in the ballpark this this past year. I saw somebody had 5,100. Right. Some people I mean, were 3,800. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about this a little bit. Your batting average hasn't been bad. I'm it, not going to put you on the spot, yeah. but it's... it's well, it's a, I'll tell you how we do it, is we look at the S&P 500 earnings, and we, we multiply that by a reasonable number. And so if 
the expectation just for rough numbers is around $220 today. Does that continue to happen? And what multiple are you willing to put on that? If you take a reasonable multiple, we're probably somewhere near a reasonable valuation where we are today. Derek Felsky, our chief investment officer, remains. So does Dave Spano, president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. Busy show today. We are glad you're here. Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Why not hit the ground running in 2023? It doesn't take long. Let's talk. What are the challenges on the way to retirement as we move through life? 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even in retirement. We're going to take a look at some and offer some advice on avoiding mistakes. That's next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. How will tax increases in the Inflation Reduction Act affect your investment and retirement goals? It's time to reevaluate your plan. The Annex Wealth Management team has reviewed the new law and is ready to give your plan an independent review. No products to push on you, just serious planning. The in-house Annex team creates comprehensive plans that play out hundreds of possible scenarios, including sky-high inflation, lifestyle changes, and additional taxes. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. The Week in Review, Know the Difference Minutes, team segments, planning topics, including investments, retirement, tax, and estate. It's all on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Head to YouTube and search Annex Wealth Management. Know the Difference with Annex Wealth Management, a team segment with Keith Butler, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Keith, welcome back. Oh, great to be here, Danny. Some of my best learning happens when I make mistakes, and there are plenty. (laughs) I spotted an article titled, The Biggest Money Mistakes by Decade, and it was about decisions we make or don't make during each decade of life. Keith, you've worked with a lot of clients. You've seen a lot of their behavior. Let's talk about each phase of those lives and see if we can find some way to avoid the mistakes, and we're going to flip it around to the positive about how to properly handle these phases and the first one and i guess this is really more on parents we can blame our parents on this one happens during childhood and that's when we miss opportunities to educate yeah i think a lot of emphasis these days is on financial literacy and that can't start too early i remember when i was a little kid i just said well what do you mean you can't afford it? just write a check eight years old or something that you don't know how it works and teaching kids how it works i think is probably the biggest thing you can do you know early on in life and as you get into your teens when all of a sudden you may start to get a job and get your own checking account. But how does all of that work? You need to have the money to pay the credit card. You, yeah. All these things which seem obvious after years and years of doing this aren't necessarily obvious at that age. Let's move to the 20s. And this is interesting because we were talking off air about one of the suggestions and it was choose a major with ROI, return on investment. You aren't on board with that. I'm not. I think that there's been some notion, some movement, for lack of a better word, over time to equate colleges with trade schools. I think there's a a real value to a college education. And to take a a little bit of a step back, and this, I guess, really has to start in the teens, not the 20s, as you're making this decision. Do more people than necessary go to college? And it's probably true. There are a lot of people who go to college that probably aren't that interested in it, and and maybe they think, I'm supposed to do it. Those are my expectations. But I think there has to be a real honest reckoning with what are your talents? What are your interests? But for folks that can benefit from a college education are interested in it, I think they pay dividends down the road that you can't really measure in dollars and cents. I'm not necessarily agreeing with the notion that you need to look at college as something where you get a return on the investment. If it's strictly a trade type school, then, then yes, of course. 
And also, as far as the debt coming out, that is something that also has to be reckoned with, and that may feed into the decision of where you go to college. I know people in their 50s that are still carrying yeah. student debt. Yeah. That's a rough one. Talking about addressing money mistakes we make by decades, we're now into our 30s, and we're talking about misplaced spending. Fancy cars, boats, toys, mm-hmm. vacations. That's fine, right. yeah. but you got to take Sounds care great. of the important stuff first. Exactly. And this is where I'm going to take a little bit of a step back of why we're having this discussion altogether is we work with a lot of people. We work with high net worth folks, but we also work with ordinary people, if you will. I meet with these folks all the time when they're getting ready to do their financial plan. Can we retire? That's the big question, Danny. Can we retire? And when the answer is yes, and they're thrilled, and I'm thrilled to be able to show this to them, is because they were setting themselves up decades in advance. And that's kind of the basis of this entire discussion. So when you get to the 30s, that's when it starts. Now, when we meet with some people that are in their 30s, doing their financial plan can get really speculative because you're talking about, you know, geez, what are you going to get in Social Security? Are you going to have a pinch? Well, truthfully, they'll probably change jobs a couple of times. You'll have some great things happen in your life. You'll have some challenges in your life between now and then. But it's starting to get that discipline. And that, I think, can really start in earnest, even though you start in the beginning, in the 20s, as you mentioned. The 30s is when you really start to to do that. Start to think ahead about, okay, let's get some discipline with our 401k plan, with our saving and our investing. Let's roll into the 40s because it's kind of sort of the same story. Not enough saving and investing. And it's hard for a lot because your family is growing probably and there's lots of things to pay for. Exactly. And this is the 40s are kind of the tweeners because in the 30s, it's incredibly speculative. On the 50s, you can see it. And in the 40s, that's that transition period between retirement is just bizarre concepts for old people to, oh, wow, I need to start thinking about this. And yeah, it is a lot of the same issues as in the 30s. Your kids are getting older, they're getting more expensive, and then you kind of have to balance all of that with a good financial plan and a realistic view of how much you can be spending. Talking about addressing money mistakes we make by decades with Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, into the 50s. Too much for the kids, not enough for you. Yeah, there you go. And that is when you should really start the plan in earnest because it's not as completely speculative. Now you have a better idea because if you've been doing these right things in your 30s and 40s, now you're starting to get a little bit of accumulation because 30s, it might be, well, Jesus, just... X dollars, that's that's not very much. No, but it multiplies, and it multiplies. And then when you're 50, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is turning into something. So this is when you have to start weaning your kids off the the, um, the dole, if the you, dole. So, to speak, <laughs> so to speak, if you possibly can. Again, everybody's circumstances are different. And if you're doing the right things for them, then now they're getting into their – and all the things we were talking about before of your mistakes, those are the things – the good advice that you should be imparting to them. Into the 60s when the finish line is kind of in – view, Mm -hmm. retirement planning fails, maybe not even planning at all. Right. As I mentioned earlier, and we've talked about many times, the plan is all these things coming together. It's income, it's spending habits, it's the nature of your savings. So you want to make sure this is when you start thinking about risk management, okay, because you can be very aggressive you know, when you're younger, because you have a long time frame. Again, if you're doing things right, and unless, you know, life throws you some bad curveballs, you're not going to be relying on those savings right then and there. And you can invest more aggressively because downturns like we've had this year, you can withstand and come out just fine. And then 70s and beyond, you can't outrun inflation or debt. Right. Again, another Always be looking at your risk tolerance and maybe you're dialing back the risk, especially if you have a plan that looks successful on paper, is successful. You don't necessarily need to run up the score. And at that point in time, you don't necessarily need to take the risk. 
Keith, bottom line, get with Annex Wealth Management no matter where you are on the journey. We can guide you to avoid some of these mistakes and get you pointed in the right direction. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning, know the difference. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 92.5 Fox News. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? We're going to cover healthcare savings accounts and why they're pretty darn awesome for those who can use them. And to do that, joined by Brandon Arps, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Danny. A couple years ago, there were more than 30 million HSAs holding about $82.2 billion. Now, the key is you're eligible to have contributions made to an HSA when your medical insurance is a high deductible plan that's HSA eligible. So not all high deductible plans are HSA eligible. Got to check with your insurer employer to be sure yours qualifies, but they are powerful and they're popular for a reason, right, Brandon? Yeah, I would say that the HSA is one of, if not the best tax shelter that exists today. And if utilized in a comprehensive financial plan correctly, they could help facilitate a pre-Medicare age 65 early retirement. Now, in my opinion, the cost of a Medicare insurance bridge, one that's from early retirement to age 65, which can be upwards of ten dollars to $12,000 per person, happens to be the number one preventer of early retirement. HSAs can be utilized to help cover those future costs. So what are the limits? How much can you put in per year? The maximum HSA contribution in 2022 is $3,650 for someone with an individual medical plan and $7,300 for someone with a family plan. There's an additional $1,000 catch-up contribution allowed for those ages 55 and over. Contributions made by an individual to his or her account are deductible from gross income, just like a pre-tax 401k contribution, and contributions made by an employer to the employee's account are excluded from gross income. So you really could pile a lot of money in there, and again, it's to reduce taxable income. That's win-win. Absolutely, and another big benefit for some of the high-income earners in the crowd And you can invest these things too, right? Yeah, arguably as important as the deduction, earnings within your HSA are tax-free, which is particularly impactful if you're allowed to invest in a portion of your account. So when it comes to spending that HSA money, you got to pay attention to what you're spending it on. I mean, there's certain limits. Yeah, absolutely. Distributions from the account are tax-free when used to pay for what's important, qualified medical expenses. And a qualified medical expense is defined by the IRS. I would go to publication 502 if you're really interested to see exactly what's covered. But things like Band-Aids, medications, false teeth, if you need some of those, sometimes even a portion of the cost to add a wheelchair ramp or uh, handrails to the house. We've described HSAs as triple tax advantage. That's like the magic of these things. How does that break down? Yeah, the three tax benefits in one vehicle are very unique. And that's why I believe the HSA is one of the best tax shelters that exist today. Unlike 401ks and traditional IRAs, you aren't simply deferring taxes with an HSA. Unlike a Roth IRA, you aren't paying taxes now to avoid taxes later. So instead, Money contributed to an HSA is never taxed as long as distributions pay for those qualified medical expenses. Tax deduction on the way in, tax-free growth, and then tax-free on the way out 
so long as it's on those qualified expenses. That's triple tax advantage. Yeah, who doesn't like that? We're discussing HSAs with Brandon Arps, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Is there an RMD component? I mean, do you have to spend these things down? No. um, HSAs do not have a required minimum distribution during your lifetime, like an IRA or a 401k, for instance. If you're married and you end up passing away, your spouse can use the benefit just like you did. So you can basically spend it on anything that you have a medical need for. And let's face it, we know we're going to spend money on healthcare during our lifetime, which, by the way, how's the new baby? Because you know you're going to be spending money on her. <laughs> baby is great. A little fussy. She had some shots the other week, but she's doing great. Yeah, you know, in terms of expenses, most people use their HSA during their working years to pay for medical expenses that aren't covered by insurance, such as the deductibles and the co-payments and the medications. But a better strategy to consider, especially if you're interested in that pre-Medicare retirement, might be to fully fund the HSA during your working years and try to pay current medical expenses out of pocket. Mm. It's a very difficult thing to do. Some costs like uh, giving birth to a child are kind of expensive, but if you can try to do that and shelter the HSA money, let it grow, you can actually use those funds to purchase the healthcare bridge insurance. One more question, we'll let you go. Which should somebody fund first, a 401k, an IRA, or an HSA? Probably a predictable answer from me, but both, right? So when you're first starting out, you're probably not making that much money. Then you want to still take advantage of the employer match with the 401k, maybe throw a little bit at the HSA. As you progress through your career and your income increases, then you you definitely want to try to max out both the 401k and the HSA. I agree with Tom Parks of our retirement plan services. If it doesn't hurt a little bit, it's probably not enough. Absolutely. Folks, for investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. The website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Brandon Arps, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, thank you very much. Happy to be here, Danny. The Week in Review, Know the Difference Minutes, team segments, planning topics, including investments, retirement, tax, and estate. It's all on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Head to YouTube and search Annex Wealth Management. Know the Difference? It's time for Ask Annex. Got a question for us? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask button. And as always, if we can help you, just look for that Get Started button in the studio. Sarah Kyle, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hello. Hello, Danny. And over to Matt Morsey, investment team manager and a CFP. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. Got a couple good ones. First one is from Tony. I've worked in public service my entire career and will receive a nice pension. I haven't done much retirement planning, but saw this on TikTok and it seems too easy. What are your thoughts? To determine income needs in retirement, subtract pension and social security, and then divide that by 0.04. Boom. Financial plan. <laughs> it sounds real easy. <laughs> right. I mean, I strongly discourage anybody taking financial planning advice from TikTok. But the rule of thumb is, you know, you, you shouldn't be taking more than 4% out of your portfolio if you wanted to last your lifetime. That's that 4% rule. So quick rule of thumb is you can multiply your annual spending by 25. That's what your savings should be in order to withdraw 4% out of your account per year. But it's way more complex than that. Yeah. And he mentions he wants to determine his income needs. Well, your income needs are based on your spending. Remember a couple of weeks ago, somebody saw on TikTok that you maybe should get a baby a credit card. So (laughs) (laughs) 
This would be the second strike. <laughs> Don't get your financial advice from TikTok. Exactly. Yeah. Next one is from Ken. What is a Santa Claus rally? Yeah, great question, Danny. And, and thanks, Ken, for p- putting that in there. This is one of those things that I always kind of find funny. As, as you look through the calendar year, there's different months or, or weeks or time periods that you can rhyme different things off and, and get to whether or not the market should go up or down during that time period. But when looking at those, a Santa Claus rally, which is loosely defined as the last five trading days of the year and the first of the next two, historically, have actually worked out really well. Since 1950, that time period has been on up on average 1.3% over that seven days and up 75% of the time, which when you look at a normal seven-day trading period, the average is up 0.24%. So you're getting an extra 1% over a week of trading, which is which is pretty spectacular. And it's only up 58% of the time normally. So historically, it's actually worked out really well. You never really know why these things kind of happen the way that they do, but the kind of general thoughts is that that week between Christmas and New Year's and going into the year is many people take off during that time period. So you have low volumes during that time period. It doesn't take as much to move the market as it normally does, but you also have a lot of hopeful and optimistic thoughts with Christmas going on, New Year's, the anticipation for the next year. You know, I would think in a year like this where it's been a pretty negative year that people are looking for something optimistic. So maybe we do get one, maybe we don't. And it also sometimes can be self-fulfilling. It usually goes up during this time period. So I'm going to buy because it usually goes up and then it goes up and then people start to you know extrapolate that over time. But it's always one of those funny ones to look at. Next up from Ed, with short-term rates higher than long-term rates, why wouldn't I only buy shorter ones? That's the problem with the inverted yield curve, right? It is. It is. And when you have a one or two-year treasury that's earning more than a 10-year treasury, we get that question a lot. And a couple of things that we look at is, well, first of all, what's your reinvestment risk? Which is essentially that if you invest for one or two years, you now need to find a new investment when that bond matures. And what will yields look like at that point in time? With the yield curve being inverted as it is now, the market's telling you that the rates are going to be lower in the future. And so that your ability to roll it over and still be able to make up what you could get on a longer term bond right now is, is probably not going to happen. And that's that's why it's it's showing you that. Well, also, we're going into what you know we've called or what we've heard is the most anticipated recession of all time. And if that does happen to play itself out, the Fed will likely be cutting rates. And so in two years from now, when your bond matures, you're looking for something out there. If the Fed's been cutting, you're going to get something less. And ultimately, what we want to do is diversify upon that yield curve. You want to have different parts of your portfolio at different parts so that you can counteract that risk. Yeah. And what we like to do with clients is what we call a bond laddering. So you take different time frames and buy different maturities and bonds and, and kind of diversify that way over the duration. That's kind of a classic thing, isn't it? The bond ladder? Mm-hmm. Been around a long, long time. Our last question is from Omar. Are I-bonds still worth looking at? Sure. Currently, they're paying about 6.89%, but that will reset in May of 2023. They reset twice a year. But just keep in mind, they're not super liquid. So for the first 12 months, they are illiquid, and then they mature after five years. So, And you're only limited to buying 10000 per year. So if you're worried about liquidity, you might want to look at other government interests, like we mentioned the treasury bonds. But if you don't need the liquidity and you can hold it five years, then it might be something to look at. Sarah Kyle, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management on Ask Annex. Thank you. You're welcome. Matt Moore is the investment team manager in the CFP. Thank you. Thank you. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. 
This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Someone asks how you are. Most of the time, it's good. So how's your money, your investments, your retirement plans? Given everything going on, good might not be the answer. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Annex will build a plan that addresses your financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Annex Wealth Management can change the conversation. We don't want you to answer good. We want you to feel the confidence of saying great. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. We're back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News with Robert Chastain, Branch Director and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management in Naples. Hey, Robert. Hi, Danny. How are you? Not bad. A little worn out from Christmas, but I'm good. I'm really good. And here we, we're on New Year's here sitting, so we have a brand new year in front of us. Yeah, and I behaved myself last night. So, I mean, those days are long, long gone. I will tell you that. I just sit at home and watch the people misbehaving. Yeah, yeah, and there's plenty. Let's talk about the omnibus spending bill. It passed. Tucked inside it is the package referred to as Secure 2.0, and it defines new retirement rules that could make it easier for Americans to build retirement savings and less costly to withdraw them. We're going to talk about some of those provisions in Secure 2.0, and the first is, is to require auto enrollment in new 401k plans. It's a great idea, you know, and what they really mean by this, companies that have 401k plans, they can automatically enroll employees and you have to opt out of it if you do not want to be in it. From day one, you're automatically in unless you decide to opt out. And then the other thing that's in there, they'll have a 1% increase of what you're contributing on a yearly basis up to 10%, but not greater than 15. And that is for brand new 401k. Plan. So if you're a company that already has one, it, it won't affect you. The second is to allow employer contributions for student loan payments, which hangs over the heads of many people. This is really for students that have uh, heavy student loan debt. And if they find it hard to save, they can get a matching contribution from, from their employer to help pay off those loans and or save money in, in the 401k plan. Third is to increase the age for required minimum distributions. Hopefully all of us are living longer and your money can grow. And, and Danny, we've talked about this in previous radio shows. Here's where you're saving 100 cent dollars, right? 401k, it's tax-free, goes in there. I've always said you get an a interest-free, tax-free loan from the government, which makes $100. If your federal tax rate in the state of Florida is 25%, you're really getting $0.75 to spend. So take that free money, leave it alone for a little bit longer. Again, right now, the uh, required minimum distribution age is 72. They're moving that up to 73 starting in 2023. And then uh, a decade later, it could go to 75. We're with Robert Chastain, Branch Director and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management Naples. Secure Act 2.0, what's in it that could affect you? Fourth is help employees build access to emergency savings. This is kind of a misnomer to me, Danny, because if if you really read the the tea leaves in this one, anybody who taps their 401k before 59 and a half typically pays a penalty, a 10% penalty, then you're paying taxes. With certain things, COVID, uh, the government waived some of the penalties and let people pull money out because they weren't working. So in 
crisis times, the government will waive that. Now, on this right here, they're going to let you pull out $1,000. I don't know too many emergencies that only cost 1000 So I'm not sure how great this is going to help a whole lot of folks. You know, so not that crazy about it. And again, this one starts in 2023. Next up, raise catch-up contribution limits for older workers. They've been bumping these up, but this is another, another bump. This is a real big one. And currently, if you're 50 or older, you can contribute uh, additionally to the maximum it's it's called a catch-up so right now the 401k limit per year is 20,500 if you're 50 or older you can put an uh, extra 6,500 dollars in under this retirement package and this is interesting they're changing the age from 60 to 63 you'll be able to contribute 10,000 or 50 percent more than the regular catch-up amount in 2025 whichever is greater wasn't this thing like over 4,000 pages it, it, it was that's yeah, crazy we're talking about <laughs> the secure 2.0 portion the next one is to enhance and simplify the savers credit that's a good thing for lower income people it sure is what this really means is the federal government will match for lower income uh, earners retirement contributions up to two thousand a year which is very nice you know if you're in the starting out and, and you're under their their limits and you can get an extra credit for that god bless you and our last one is make it easier for part-time workers to save this is really big for Florida because a lot of people still do work part-time and if they don't need their money and they can put it away great way to do it and what this really means part-time workers must be allowed to participate if the company has a plan and work at least 500 hours a year. It's a nice thing if you don't need all of your salary and you still want to save some money you can. For investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we want you to know the difference. Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management Naples. Happy New Year, buddy. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Danny, and Happy New Year's to everybody out there, and please come see us. Anybody ever tell you that you got too much stuff? We're going to talk about downsizing next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back. 92.5 Fox News. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Deanne Phillips in the studio. She's Director of Client Learning and Development, a CFP and a CDFA. Welcome back. Hi. I found a letter. Could you read this, please? This is sweet. It's a great one. So this is what it says. I'm a healthy and active widow in my late 70s. My intention is to stay in my house forever. Well, that is until a good friend visited and said, you should be moving. The house is much too big with too many stairs. Move before you have to. That jolted me since I love where I live and love my home and community. It's where my late husband and I raised our three children. After 40 years, what should I reluctantly be thinking about? That is a tough one, and I bet one that you've come across. So let's talk about it, Deanne. Downsizing or aging in place, is this something that you see much of? Oh, absolutely. Many people feel attached to their house for good reason. This is not uncommon. Memories and family have been built there, and it currently houses all our stuff. Sometimes that alone can deter somebody from moving. It seems that there are two parts to this dilemma. There's the emotional part, and that may be the more 
difficult one. All right, because our homes are comfort zone, and that is important, especially as we age. It's what we've built to make it not just a house, but a home. You know, we may have neighbors who are good friends and a support system. We may have put in a fantastic garden that we would be reluctantly leaving behind. I can relate to that one. And, you know, it may be in a perfect location where it's very close to other friends or family, stores, doctors, places that are important to us. And moving opens up the door to the unknown. Change is hard. Downsizing or aging in place. If you'd like to stay in your home, you're not alone. A 2022 survey found that 88% of adults 50 and older want to age in place. It was 77% in an AARP survey. Clear reasons that you see? Yes, but you know, I do have to say too, even though they want to per the surveys, doesn't mean they necessarily do. Actually, over 50% of retirees do what they call right sizing, actually do move Mm. in retirement. And you know, for a lot of them, it's the reason that all these surveys cite. People want to be closer to family, but If the family's young and mobile, they move, and we know this. And, you know, even before the pandemic, people were downsizing. And contrary to what we might think, some want extra space so they could actually be upsizing and be the ones their children and grandchildren come to for the holidays because that's what they value. Makes sense. Well, here's the rub, though. Most adults are not prepared to age in place. Danny, I have this conversation with clients all the time. Things familiar to us now while we're healthy, we don't think about it as we age. For example, we imagine that our kids will help us, but they have their own lives. And it depends upon how far away they are and how busy they are. We may be overestimating the amount of time it takes to give the kind of help we might need as we age. And not all older adults want to downsize. The pandemic served as a motivator for many to rethink lifestyle and what's important, but you need to ask questions, and there are so many of them. Well, yeah, sure. So, so for example, is this space right for your needs? Is it too much to maintain and that does include that yard work you know sometimes Mm. depending on where you live shoveling raking many times we think ah i'll just hire some help but Have you put that thought into budgeting and cash flow needs? Because it all can add up. If your cash flow is changing, are the house expenses manageable? Do you want to be closer to friends or family? Do you have a lot of equity in your home now locked up? And if you downsized, if that's a viable option, then would you have that money to do things that also make your soul sing or make you happy, like travel? If you stop being able to drive, would transportation be an issue? Are you too isolated where you are now if you age in place? Are you close enough to what you need? And can you get there? Grocery, doctor, all those things. Here's an interesting one, though, too. Would you actually be lonely if you're there Mm, alone? And are you a better candidate for an age in place community where you have amenities and people around you? Dan, we had some friends, nice suburban home. They sold it to move to an urban setting, and they had a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Even then, after they moved, my friend said to me, you got to purge, and then you purge more, and then you need to purge further. We've lived in the same place for a while. We've got a lot of stuff. Right, and what they're describing is pre-downsizing. Now, believe me, the younger generations don't want most of our stuff. So getting rid of things now is helping them as well as helping us. You know, when you start beef, 
before you have to move. You're under less pressure and stress and deadlines, and you're also potentially cleaning out that storage unit while you're physically up for the task. This leaves, again, less for your loved ones. You know, it took my nephew and me three weekends to clean out Dad's storage unit when he passed. Well, of course, we did spend a lot of time looking at memorabilia. That's the fun part you of it. You bet. Did you see the stat? What is the average number of things we have in our house? Well, uh, yeah, this is interesting. The average home has over 300,000 items. Say that again. 300,000 items, right? And it's never too early to sift and sort, regardless of the decision to move or not. These are big steps not to be taken lightly. If it's part of your life plan, that means it's probably part of your financial plan. And that is important. You know, again, taking a look at all of your resources, what you have, what you're earning, what you're, how your investments are doing, and wrapping it all into your wants, your needs, and your values. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start that wealth metric process. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, and a CDFA at Annex. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Danny. Hey, investing terms can be really confusing at times. We're going to sort through some common investing terms next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Sure, there are market updates, but learn something new and interesting with the Know the Difference Minute from Annex Wealth Management. We'll go beyond the usual topics and dig in deep on developing and breaking stories. Catch them all on Spotify. Search Know the Difference Minute from Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? We recently had an Ask Annex question about a number of terms you'll hear in the investment world. And we got back to him, but it occurred that a quick course on some of the terms might be beneficial for everybody. Who better to take us through that school than Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome, Todd. Thank you. Todd, you're well-equipped for this segment. You taught graduate and undergraduate courses in investments, advanced investments, and international finance courses for over 20 years at a large university. You have a PhD in economics with concentrations in financial and international economics, along with a Master of Economics and a BA in economics. Did you have any fun in college at all? Well, you know, I wanted to clarify something. I worked through all that. I lived across the street from the university. Odds of tripping you up on some of these terms are incredibly low. The first term we'd like to define is one that's in the news often when there's volatility, and that is correction. Correction, you know, you have to keep in mind that it depends on who's doing the defining, but it's generally accepted that a correction or a drop in the market is 10% or more in the index level. That's somewhat related to a bear market. Bear markets are markets that fall 20% or more. Again, keep in mind the feel of the market and the dynamic of the market can be something completely different where you can have a 30% drop in the markets, basically like a correction. But a correction is normal. We see them often? Absolutely. Corrections you'd see a couple times a year. And I'm glad you actually said that's normal. In the context of today's environment with the market, it's not corrections we worry about. That's a, just a normal part of the dynamic of the market. It's bear markets you got to worry about. The prospect of a market trending down 20% or more. What have you done to prepare for it? What are you doing to take certain action? Corrections, they come and go. Everybody's heard the term recession. Most of us have seen a number of them. What's the definition of a recession? Two consecutive quarters of negative 
GDP growth or negative economic growth. That's the formal definition of a recession. Again, there's the more the look and the feel of it. You have growth, you know, recessions and things that are going on that might not by definition be a recession, but it feels like a recession. For example, today, you know, real wage rates, they're not keeping up with inflation rates. So people aren't feeling too good about higher gas prices and food prices, yet wages are going up 4%. Well, inflation's going up 7 <laughs> So it doesn't feel like a real growth environment. Conversely, you have recessions that they may by definition not be recessions, but they feel like recessions. Even though the last one was a long time ago, the term depression casts a long and scary shadow over most of investment talk. Right. And so that the last time that topic came up was probably 2008, the dark days of 2008 and, and a significant decline in economic growth. And economic growth, it's similar to like we're talking about recession and bear market, recession and depression. Depressions are just deeper swells in economic growth than a recession. But the last official one was what, in the 30s, right? Yeah, in the 1930s. Okay. Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist at Annex Wealth Management, walking us through some of the often used terms that you're going to encounter. Often during our weekly recap of the markets, Dave and Derek will mention growth and value stocks. What are growth stocks? Growth stocks are traditionally, uh, and this has been around for a long time, high earnings growth, high sales growth type companies, high returns on equity, the shareholders, that type of thing. But think of it as high sales or earnings growth companies. Value stocks are those that might be cheap based on some valuation metric. A simpler way to think of it, value stocks are those that pay really good dividend yields. And dividend yields is an indication of value, but there are other metrics used to determine value. Earnings season is quarterly with a number of different data points. Are there key terms in these reports we should look at like earnings or earnings per share revenue? Uh, absolutely. And earnings season is a time, for example, where you go through that in mid to late, say mid-January to mid-February for the fourth quarter of the previous year. You get into April, you get into July, you get into October. Those are earnings season periods where companies are reporting the previous quarter's earnings results on publicly traded companies. The earnings numbers is actually pretty simple to arrive at. It's sales minus cost is earnings. So how does a company increase earnings? They can increase sales, they can reduce costs, or they can do both. Earnings per share is simply the amount of earnings on a financial statement divided by a number of shares outstanding. I want to make an important point about that because this ties in with the valuation of the company. And is a stock expensive or cheap? You don't look at a company and say, this company's share price is $100, the other one is $60, therefore the $100 stock is more expensive. It's just expensive in the share price, but not in valuation. So PE, for example, price per share divided by earnings per share, per shares cancel, and you have a number, 14, 20. If it was my sister who knows absolutely nothing about the market, I would explain, just look at the PE ratio as a valuation measure, and it's just an absolute number. It can range from, let's say, 14 to 20, like the market. 14 is low, 20 is high. Therefore, higher than 20, market's expensive. Lower than 14, market is cheap. Same thing with an individual stock. We're running a little short on time. I had asked you about shorting and I asked you about options. Maybe we'll do that for another segment if you can come back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning as a fee-only fiduciary, know the difference. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Those new smartwatches give you all sorts of insights on your personal health. Heart rate, steps, all right there. Wealth metric gives you key insights on your financial health. If you're looking for analysis and data on your financial health, get your wealth metric by visiting AnnexWealth.com. We're back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, the end of the year show. Just for a quick reminder, 2022 year-end tax reference guide still up at AnnexWealth.com. Don't have to be a client for that. Super valuable. Download it today. Derek Felsky's in the studio. He's Chief Investment Officer, Dave Spano, President, CEO, Annex Wealth Management. You know, as we look forward, Danny, to 2023, there's a lot of backdrop for sure. But one of the things that we're all going to have to deal with is when our financial statements come out here in early January, they are not going to look pretty. Of course, the fixed income market is probably the biggest shocker of all. Uh, Derek, you showed me some numbers of what fixed income did in 2022. Well, right. At one point, I think that the 30-year Treasury was down almost 30%. And when you think about it, the more conservative you were, the more difficult it was because you probably had a larger allocation to fixed income. And if you didn't go a little bit off the grid in terms of looking at things like bank loans and high yield and short-term credit and the rest, you really took a, had a, a bad side on that in terms of fixed income and did not provide you with the stability you'd like. But we talked about it a lot last year about picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. When interest rates are close to zero or even negative, right? There was $13 trillion in negative sovereign debt. Who the hell would want to buy a bond and pay that sovereign for the purpose of owning their paper. Right. So you look at ag, of course, and that's just an index not doing well. And as Derek just pointed out, there was places to go that certainly mitigated that. And of course, the story remains the same with the S&P 500, the 500 biggest stocks. If you look at them, the top five stocks are, of course, in the tech industry, which overweight that index dramatically. Right. And the valuations of them are not particularly attractive. Apple still trades at 26 times earnings. I mean, down significantly from where it was, but probably, you know, could warrant a multiple closer to 20. So there could be further downside in those big over-owned names, which is why, you know, you want active stock managers, active stock pickers who are going to look not just chasing, you know, index-related weightings, but actually opportunistic companies that are attractively valued that are perhaps under-owned in areas like energy or financial services and the like. You know, and they're out there, there's these passive investments called exchange-traded funds, and of course we use them in the right spot, but it's not a one fix for everything. There is a place for passive and there's a place for active. Derek is showing us right now that active does have a place as well as an opportunity going through your portfolio and say, where can we overweight? You, know, you go through, of course, the indices and you go through the sectors. Of course, at the top of the sectors list was energy. Right. Energy up 63%, uh, utilities flat and everybody else down, uh, which, you know, if you, if you talk to people beneath last year, they wouldn't have believed it. And in fact, most people would not believe that the best performing industry within energy last year was coal. Now, I don't know many people that actually like coal's prospects. Certainly Joe Biden yeah, doesn't. Yeah, not, not coal's the, the retailer, but coal the actual, yeah. what was in the stockings. Right, and the, the, the very industry that Joe Biden wants to put out of business during the 2020 election campaign, well, guess what? We still need coal in order to charge up those electric vehicles and the rest. So, you know, parallel paths are probably warranted. Right, so you look at what uh, 2023, you know, what will be 
the geopolitical story, what is going to happen with China's and the COVID cases that will come out of China in 2023, as well as what happens with Russia and Ukraine, the UK and a European perhaps recession. So geopolitical risk does remain. Of course, there will be a choppy parts of 2023, and that's the reason why you need to go through your portfolio and you need to communicate uh, with your advisor, and in, in probably your advisor should communicate with you, I should rather say, in more calls, more interaction, and do not set it and forget it because there's places to go in 2023. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things we talk about a lot is, you know, tactical allocations, and, you know, we've liked dividend-paying stocks. We continue to like health care because of the demographics and just the growthy characteristics and the recessionary-resistant nature of that industry. Uh, we don't, We like energy. I wouldn't chase it, but we like it. And we also like technology in a sense, too, because as the economy starts to slow, one of the best ways to engineer profitability is to enhance your productivity, and technology companies help in that area. And I'm not saying buy companies that have price-to-sales ratios north of 20. I'm just talking about, you know, some mainstream software companies that provide the the, the infrastructure for that allow an enterprise to work. And the last piece I would say is, of course, if your financial advisor is talking about, you know, bond portfolios, and of course, they had a bad year, no doubt about it. That probably means there's an opportunity. So be careful for an advisor who says, we're going to replace your fixed income portfolio with a fixed annuity, for example. So this is the time to go through your process. Make sure that you're dealing with a team, a deep team, not just a guy, a deep team that has a number of people that can help you get through this process. Which, by the way, uh, we're staffing up even bigger in 2023. And that is to meet client demand, really, because more and more people are coming to Annex Wealth Management and saying, you know what? I need the help in 2023 and beyond. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah, it really is. And this is the time to go ahead. Happy New Year to everyone. Really appreciate you listening. And we look forward to 2023. We certainly do. Derek Felsky, have a great uh, New Year. To you as well, Danny. All right. And Dave, you as well. Healthy and happy into 2023. Can we help you? Investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning is a fee-only fiduciary. We said it all the way through 2022. We're going to say it in 2023. We can help. You know, you might make resolutions. You might not. But we can all make positive changes. Sometimes getting started is the hardest part. We're ready for you. Head to our website. Click that Get Started button. Happy New Year. We're going to be back here next Sunday, noon. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. The Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.